I can get a patent on pretty much anything, but if it doesn't, if the competitors don't care and consumers don't care about it, then ultimately investors aren't going to care about it and it's not going to be a valuable asset. So it's important to be open to ideas and iteration and really nail it in that way. Welcome to IP Talk with Wolf Greenfield. Our topic for this episode is intellectual property for startups. Attorney Neil Ferraro and Paul Metoxitos will offer guidance for protecting an organization's products and designs. Neil Ferraro chairs Wolf Greenfield's Mechanical Technologies Group. He works with clients in all areas of intellectual property and represents clients ranging from startups to large corporations in a wide range of technologies. Neil joined the firm after serving as an intellectual property attorney with the Ford Motor Company. Paul is co-founder and principal of Motive, a Boston-based consultancy that designs products and develops brands for companies of all sizes. Paul is recognized within the retail consumer industry as one of the leading authorities in brand-focused product development, having been associated with many iconic brands, including Keurig, Culligan, and Vitamix. Neil, what is the first thing a startup should do when they have an idea for a product or design? The first thing you should do is consult a patent attorney. So often a startup company will reach out to us way too late in the process. They may have inadvertently lost the ability to patent that invention or protect the invention. And some specific steps that should be taken include making sure that whoever you discuss the idea with is under an obligation of confidentiality. You don't want to inadvertently disclose and lose rights. That often happens. And so I encourage startups when they have that idea to be discreet and not disclose it to anyone without some sort of obligation of confidentiality in place. And as you'll hear from Paul, I'm sure that his company would would also comment on that as well. And, And he does that as well. It's important to keep things in confidence. The next thing your IP attorney might do would be to guide you through the steps of protecting the idea. So assuming the uh, product or idea warrants patent protection, your attorney might conduct a patentability study to learn whether your idea is in fact patentable, whether it's been done before. And if it hasn't been done before, which we call novelty in the patent landscape, whether or not it's different enough from what's been done before, whether that variant is disclosed in prior patents or literature, you know, is different enough from your product. I would also suggest that investors often want to see and learn whether your idea is protectable. So it's important to engage with a patent attorney early to satisfy that inquiry so that you position the startup in a way to attract that investment money. So on this point, Neil, we are so aligned uh, and it probably doesn't hurt that we've been working together for a number of years. So we've refined this uh, interaction, but there's little doubt that an NDA It's the first order of business. Make sure that it ensures confidentiality. If somebody calls and says, hey, I've got this great idea, I say two things. One, who's your IP counsel? And then let's get an NDA in place. Once we have those in place, we can start that discussion because the reality is that this is far from a linear process. It's not like, here's the idea, let's lock it up and make it. That, in my experience, never happens. It is this slow dance around and around and around to figure out which areas really hold the most value from both an ability to lock them up and actually own them, as well as what is an actual product or proposition that would be of interest, something somebody might actually want to buy. And this is where that interaction with the trio of the entrepreneur, the IP counsel, 
and the design firm is critical. So part of that is really engaging in a relationship, uh, you know, where you can really feel that there's a level of trust and confidence about each other's ability and knowledge and really go through that cycle. And when I say cycle, it really is a sort of rinse and repeat. Put the ideas out, the initial thought starters. Let's vet those. Let's find out what exists for Neil's comment around what's in the landscape, what's out there already. And then let's ideate a bit on that. Let's chew through a couple of concepts and ideas and let's see if those are building on it or improving it or maybe even changing it. And that can happen as well in this early stage where you'll start someplace thinking, hey, I've got this brilliant idea. Discover that, okay, well, maybe a few other people had that same amazing moment where this uh, this big idea landed upon them. And, and then you can pivot quickly. And that interaction between the entrepreneur and inevitably very creative IP counsel and very creative design counsel will yield a direction that is probably better than where you started from. I mean, I totally agree. And that iterative process happens quite often, especially in the startup space when it's a new product category or a new something really revolutionary in, in the space. And uh, we see that often. And for me, from the patent attorney perspective, I want to understand that story. Like I want to understand what is the motivation behind that invention that gives me an insight as to the strength of the idea. So those things, as you touched upon, what are those things that we consider? What problem is this idea trying to solve? How has that happened? And you know, how have those problems been solved in the past? What are the competitors doing? What did they do to solve that problem or, or different problems? And let's understand that as we, as we build the IP. And, you know, really from a commercialization perspective, I want to understand how is this thing going to be built? Where is it going to be sold? who the competitors are, what the competitive landscape is. Do they plan to sell it on their own? Are they going to manufacture on their own? Are they going to third party, you know, have a vendor manufacture? Are they going to sell the idea to one of these competitors and not manufacture at all? Most often the case I've seen from the vendor slash partner perspective, they want a turnkey product. They don't want a, you know, hey, I've got this great idea and then have the company go figure it out. It's no, we have the invention packaged up with a product that you could hand over the keys if it's your exit strategy. So understanding that exit is, is really, really important to help develop that IP strategy. With the help of your IP attorney, you can develop different kinds of strategies, protection strategies. Is it a patent strategy? Is it one patent? Is it several patents? How large, how small? Should the product or the idea be kept a trade secret? What aspects should be kept secret and what should be disclosed and protected? We often find, as I'm sure you do, if the idea can't be reverse engineered or very difficult to reverse engineer it from the resulting product, then maybe keep it a trade secret. You know, interesting things like that. We, we've talked, Paul, about where is this thing going to be protected? Is it going to be manufactured in overseas? Is it going to be protected around the world? What countries? All of those things help us, I think, Paul, you and certainly me, identify the strategy and, and try to understand what's best for this product launch. That process uh, can be a very gut-wrenching experience for the entrepreneur. Some are quite seasoned and certainly aware of what this entails. Others are new to it and uh, can be a bit humbling because inevitably this leads to what are the dollars involved? And depending on the 
proposition, those costs can escalate extremely quickly. Developing something from scratch, and we've both certainly benefited from the uh, success of Keurig over the years, right? Let's just put that out as an example. Now, here is a razor razor blade system where you have two very well-developed products working in unison. You have uh, a brewer and you have uh, a K-cup. And these are both products in their own right. So to develop something of that nature is actually the development of two products. And in fact, the consumable is way more complex than it actually seems because of the total volume involved. So the proposition is great. You know, the strategy is unbelievable. And that's really where where folks have been looking in terms of a proposition that has that ability to continue to pay after the initial product is sold for years to come. It's lovely. It's a great idea. But the complexities are huge. So inevitably, understanding all aspects of that early on in this foundational stage are really critical. So all those comments you mentioned, Neil, are just absolutely critical. You know, we are in lockstep in in terms of understanding things way beyond that original nugget. And really, most critically is, will people really want this thing? I mean, we can go through our process. You can lock things up globally. We can create something that really delivers. But at the end of the day, if people don't want it, then our work is academic. It's really not, it's not solving the the need, which is a sellable product. And we both feel strongly that that ability to commercialize is critical. And given the experiences that we've had, both good and bad, right? I mean, we've seen a lot over the years, asking those questions up front, going through that process, really vetting it, And then I would argue also doing some consumer work. You know, we really push that as soon as we have the ability to hold some ideas, to lock them up, obviously, properly before they can be shown. Doing some early consumer work is very helpful in terms of really understanding the sensitivities around that proposition. So it could be that the idea is in a good spot, but it needs to lean a little bit in either direction, you know, in terms of what's the retail price going to be? What are the features and benefits? Where does it live? How do you use it? You know, all those things are part of the design process. Ultimately, can you fall in love with it? Is it beautiful? What is the brand? Is it something that you can connect with? And this runs the gamut from new to the world brands and names to existing ones where they're extended and manipulated to really align with the new proposition. These are all critical pieces that um, have to be discussed, again, along with that big number. What is that going to be? What is that going to take to do this? And frequently we like to sit down and say, look, hey, you're looking at X amount of dollars to do this if it goes the distance. This is, we've done this proposition over the years. That's what it costs. You know, is that where you're prepared to raise? Is that what you have? Is that your war chest? Just so that we can also adjust the proposition and the exploration to suit. Paul, you touched on a number of things that I totally agree with. One uh, in particular that resonates with me is uh, that consumer test, if you will, because you might have a great idea that but when you bring it to the consumer, they have a different approach to it, right? And so you, you, you sort of take a, a step back, but it's so important to be able to pivot and understand that you may be inventing solutions to problems that you don't even know exist yet. And you don't, you won't know that they exist until you have that feedback from the, the consumer perspective. Maybe it's a life cycle thing. You know, maybe you think it's it's great, but you know, we can't withstand for whatever reason the Keurig three, four, five hundred times a year or whatever it might be. And so you need to understand that and be able to pivot that strategy and, and tweak your design, and then see if those things are protectable as well, because. 
maybe the broad idea, the, the concept of, you know, the curd brewer, like a brewer is not new and people have been brewing coffee for years. So what makes it different? Well, maybe it's the features of, of the cup, right? That's the consumable. That's the thing you want protected perhaps more heavily than the, than the brewer itself. You also mentioned on the look and feel piece of it. That's where design patents can come into play. And as we know, Keurig has many, many design patents on various features that are that are common across the, the, the brand, are common across the uh, the product line. And that gives a an appearance that, hey, I could recognize that thing as a Keurig brewer. And so that's a protectable asset that the company should consider pursuing. We've often seen this in startups where you have a, a, a certain look that you want to create uh, and protect. And as the product gains acceptance in the marketplace, we're going to see knockoffs. And a quick and easy way to stem those knockoffs is, is through design patent protection. They want to, the competitors, the knockoff companies want to basically rip off the goodwill if, of the product and the, and the look. And, and the design patent can absolutely play a significant role in, in stemming that. That's obviously a subject that I enjoy. And it's certainly the, uh, the, the Keurig example, again, is a good one because that bail handle in itself, just that ring of could be painted plastic or shiny metal, maybe on the original product that as we had envisioned, has had many iterations over the years. And one could argue that you could take the brand off and you'd still know what it is. And, uh, you know, that's what we would consider delivering success from the design side to a customer so that the architecture, the form, the details are ones that are just readily recognizable without even reading the brand. That's what we strive for. And if you look historically of brands uh, that have stood the test of time, there's always some aspect that really presents in that manner. People are, are just, just very visual that way, and they see it, they feel it, they connect with it. So certainly that, uh, you know, protecting those assets. And over the years, it's certainly been a stronger area. It's been one that in the playing field of technology, which has moved rather quickly and has sort of level set, the differentiation can be the design and the brand, right? I mean, it's the same architecture, same technology inside, same mechanics. Really, where do you lean? And style and confidence that's inspired by certain form factors really can seal the deal. Yeah, it's interesting you say, you know, you mentioned what's inside as well, and that's protectable by utility patents, as an example. So utility patents cover the, the functional aspects of product and not just, you know, whereas design is, is covering the look of it. And oftentimes a, a complicated device would have multiple different inventions in the product itself. And one strategy that we've used with startups is to write a comprehensive patent application that covers all of those different features of the device. And then we can have that one document, sort of this omnibus document, if you will, and then later mine that for various inventions, whether it's how it interfaces with the consumer or how it functions or how it produces the product out the other end or, or whether it's an IoT device, how it connects. All of those features can be extremely important. But as a startup, money is tight and you want to pick and choose. And so you don't have to go after all of those inventions at the same time, so long as they're disclosed. In the patent application, you could pick and choose when 
and if you want to go after those features. And it can be an important consideration for startups because you, sometimes you just don't know. You just don't know which one of these things is going to carry the day. Is it one aspect? Is it the, the product that sits on the countertop or is it the consumable? And so you may not have an answer to that, but that's okay because if you've talked about it in the application, you, you could pivot. You could do the dance and, and figure out which one of those things is going to be uh, more commercially viable, at least in the short term. This is definitely, you know, back to our previous comment about these iterative cycles at this at this early stage. This is really a critical piece of that because as we brainstorm and again, lockstep around looking for that utility first. What, what is the magic here? What is the thing that really sets this apart? Because foundational utility patents tend to be just really the, the bedrock of it. If we can if we can lock that up, then a lot of times the design form, feel and potentially the IP come out of that, right? I mean, uh, you know, as you brainstorm, you'll say, well, we're going to work it in this manner. We want it to interact in this way. I'm a strong believer in many functional systems, mechanisms, which I love mechanisms, and they tend to present themselves, especially when they're done well, in ways that people can understand. So there's a, there's a basic architecture, there's basic physics involved in terms of how something works, and there's a certain elegance in embellishing that. And in many instances, that embellishment turns out to be a really novel and elegant design. Now, obviously, technology is its own thing, right? You know, where we've gone to devices that are clean and sleek, but things that interact and sort of create and morph and change in some manner, expressing that, starting with what is that core architecture, which is, again, this sort of protectable element, is usually the basis for what will then sketch and create over to create something of beauty. It's like looking at a bridge, right? I mean, you look at a, many bridges, they're beautiful because they're basic structural elements that hopefully stay up. And there's a certain elegance in the basic mechanics of them. And then embellishing the details. And that's really where the devil is from our view. You know, once we've locked these things up, once we've gotten our baseline utility, once we get got our baseline design IP, then for us, as we develop products, because that's a big part of what we do, we start with this basic initial foundational step. And then, boy, the rest of that run from concept to off tool is a long and potentially uh, painful journey where you're doing a lot of work in and around the details and really slaving those details to make sure that that total experience that you create is really elegant. And if the foundational work that you've done is really good and really solid, then the outcome you know, will certainly support that. And inevitably, if the work that's been done with the consumers, with the suppliers, all those pieces have come together well, then you'll have a great product. What's nice about working with a firm like yours, Paul, is that, you know, they may come to you with this idea that they need a bridge and you may say, do we need a bridge? Well, what about a tunnel? What about a boat? What about some other means of getting across that chasm or that lake or whatever it might be? And that's what's important is to have the, the open mindedness to say, OK, I my problem is I need to get to this other side. And how am I going to do that? One idea could certainly be the bridge. But there are other ways to do it and other things that can be done. So brainstorming those alternatives and capturing all of those alternatives could be really, really valuable in the 
in the life cycle of not only the the IP but also the product itself. And the ultimate product embodiment can embrace all of those those concepts because really what you're after is a solution to the problem and not necessarily the mechanism to get you there. Once you have the idea that you need to solve this problem, there could be numerous ways to do it. And, and, and the iterative process allows you to figure out which one of those things makes the most sense. You touch on one of the things that binds our firms quite well, and that is this interest in searching and really not just being satisfied with what is stated to us, and being willing, and, and of course, with the, the comfort of our clients uh, considered to say, hey, you know, let's, let's trust each other now and let's go on that journey because that's really what it is. You know, you can, again, start with this. This is, I got my great idea and, you know, pull down the shades. Let me show it to you, uh, but we're going to go with it. And for the entrepreneur, really making that decision around those partners is critical because some may feel that, look, I just want people to do the work uh, on the perimeter. I've got my big idea and I'm good to go. Others may really want to engage in that kind of dialogue that we feel is very productive. Inevitably, when you have trusted partners, you can really sit down at the table, dissect things well, and you know, build this level of confidence around the total team. And there's little doubt that when you involve people who have a vested interest in it, and the success, meaning, you know, we look at our, our clients and our partner agencies as as really as a family. You know, that's a network because inevitably that's that that's all we have, right? That's our business. And so really creating those kinds of relationships early on, um, uh, we find to be the most positive. You know, your your team tends to be very, very inquisitive, very interested, very engaged. And we share that same thing. Um, who would have known that, you know, lawyers and designers really sort of walk the same walk. But I think that's what we've learned over the years. And I think that's what our clients take away, you know, that, wow, uh, there's a bridge here. These two are connected. Once they feel comfortable that, hey, here's my idea, but I'm open to other thoughts and concepts. And, you know, we're efficient in our process. Again, inevitably success follows. Totally agree. And and one of the things that I always tell clients is, look, if you come to me as a patent attorney, any good patent attorney can get a patent on something. But who cares? It's got to solve your goal, right? It's got to it's got to meet your your business objective. And so it's important to understand what that is. It's important to understand how that fits in. And having the protection that meets that goal is very important and not just simply to check off the box like you and you could design anything right but but if it doesn't if it doesn't like appeal to the consumer if it doesn't really create that brand or create that look and feel that you're after same with me if it i i can get a patent on pretty much anything but if it doesn't if it, competitors don't care and consumers don't care about it then ultimately investors aren't going to care about it and it's not going to be a valuable asset so it's important really to understand the story, understand the marketplace, be be open to ideas and iteration, and really nail it in that way. Our thanks to Neil Ferraro and Paul Metoxitos for sharing their thoughts with us on IP Talk with Wolf Greenfield. We hope you'll subscribe to our series of conversations related to IP matters on Apple, Google, Amazon, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on legal matters related to intellectual property, we invite you to visit our website at www.wolfgreenfield.com. Thanks again for joining us on this edition of IP Talk with Wolf Greenfield.